Hey, welcome to TBT's podcast. I'm Dan Friel. On this edition, we're going to talk to one of TBT's advisors, Andy Dolich. Andy's had a four-decade career in the sports industry. So much great information in here. Remember that the tournament.com relaunches on Friday, April 1st. Teams can start creating themselves. Fans can start voting for who they want to see play for $2 million. $200,000 goes to the fans. 10% of that winning prize. And remember that you can always subscribe to TBT's podcast on iTunes. Just hit that little subscribe button and let your friends and family know as well. Leave us a rating and a review. Thanks. Hey, Andy. Hey, Dan. How you doing? I'm great. How are you? It's all great here on the West Coast. I'm just thinking April the 1st, and people go, why April the 1st, right? It's TBT sign-up day. Yes. July 9th, I can't wait to go to L.A. and see us playing ball for real. And then it's August the 2nd right away. Primetime TV, TBT, $2 million. Who would have thought it, huh? And I love how quickly you've gotten all those dates down, all the key messaging points. You're obviously a real pro. And for those that aren't aware of your... <laughs> Background, I was kind of hoping that you could get into that a little bit with us in terms of where um, you've made your living, what you've been doing over the course of your career. My parents, uh, who have passed on, uh, I was sort of the, uh, I, I was not the most popular of three boys. So I had an older brother, uh, still going at 80, who's a retired chemist, and a middle brother who's a surgeon. And I remember my parents were really concerned. Education was important, as it is to so many parents who never got out of high school. And they said, well, what about you? And I go, I don't have a clue. And so I went to American University. I thought I was going to get into uh, working in the State Department and government. Uh, but I realized really, really quickly that, A, I didn't have the intelligence to do that, and B, I didn't have the focus. So... This was in the late 60s and the early 70s when sport was really just starting to become an entity uh, on the business side. And I was lucky enough to get into the first sports management program in the country at Ohio University. And I graduated there from 71 in 1971. And the ironic part of this, uh, so we get into basketball. My first job is with the Philadelphia 76ers. And in 1972-73, the Sixers went 9-73. and 73. Now, you and I have talked about this before, Dan. 9-73. and 73. Now, that seems completely impossible. It does. But let's fast forward. Let's fast forward <laughs> to today. And ironically, who did the Sixers get trounced by last night? The amazing Golden State Warriors. Um, so as of today, I think the Sixers, I haven't looked at the paper this morning, but they have nine wins. So what I thought was impossible may happen again for the same franchise. Unbelievable. Uh, very quickly after that, I, I went into a sport that nobody ever heard of called indoor box lacrosse. Uh, for the Maryland Arrows. Then I transitioned to the Washington Capitals hockey team. Two years as the general manager of the Washington Diplomats of the old North American Soccer League. And I, again, you talk about, um, you know, age moving on. Uh, we were lucky enough to have one of the greatest players in soccer history, Johan Cruyff, who unfortunately passed away just a few days ago. He was our superstar in the age of Pele and Beckenbauer and Giorgio Kinalia. 
uh, one of the more amazing people in sports. And then I got my big break. Uh, the Haas family, the people that own Levi Strauss, they bought the Oakland A's from Charlie Finley. And I spent 15 years as the VP of business ops and EVP of the A's. And we had the Bash brothers. Uh, I was not on steroids. I, I need to tell you that um, <laughs> during any, any of those years. Uh, we went to three consecutive World Series. I was involved in the incredible Earthquake World Series against the Giants, which we won. We swept them. Um, and then after that, um, you know, I think about um, being back at Ohio University. If anybody ever told me I have spent 45 years in the front offices of teams in Major League Baseball, the NBA, um, and uh, the NFL, the NHL and pro soccer, I would have thought they were crazy. Um, spent a year um, with the Golden State Warriors after the A's, then went to the Vancouver, soon Memphis Grizzlies, where we built a spectacular new arena right on Beale Street FedEx Forum. And I was lucky enough for five years, I was the president of business ops. And there was a guy named Jerry West. I think you know him, Dan, right? I've heard of um, him, yeah. Yeah, I think there's a logo that looks like him, and he was the president of basketball. So kind of dream come true. Uh, and then I was able to come back here as COO of uh, the San Francisco 49ers uh, from 2007 to 2010. And we uh, worked hard to build a new stadium, which hosted Super Bowl 50, and I was really proud of that. Uh, left the team in 2010 for my own consulting business. And long story short, um, that's when I first heard, uh, later on, first heard about TBT through John Mugar. I want to talk to you about how you heard about it in a second. But one thing that really stands out, Andy, and I've, I don't know if I've spoken to you about this before, I know I've remarked on it with John, is just how many varied sports you've actually been involved with. And that doesn't seem to be the most common of career paths when people get involved in professional sports is that they're a baseball guy, they're a football guy, uh, they're a basketball guy, but you've really done everything, including soccer and lacrosse. I mean, how is it that you've kind of gone from one sport to the other um, over the course of your career? Well, my three children, uh, who at one time all went into this business, said, Dad, can you hold on to a job for a while? <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I think the, the simple reason is uh, really goes back to the 76ers. Now, this was before early 70s, this was before the NBA became the kind of global juggernaut that it, that it is today. I mean, in those days, it was the Celtics and the Lakers and the Knicks and a few other teams. I think when I was there, there were only 17 teams or 18 teams in the NBA at that time. Um, but what I saw was empty seats. And I have always been in the business of what I call LPCs. And people go, what's an LPC? Is that analytics? Is that metrics? No, an LPC is a little piece of cardboard, which is a ticket. And that is still the business of pro sports today. Surely uh, television contracts and websites and merchandise and these new mega stadiums and venues, you know, are generating multiple billions of dollars, but still, if you uh, know how to sell a ticket, if you're involved in the sales and marketing, then the sport doesn't necessarily matter. Now, if you decide to become an expert on uh, the 
algorithms and metrics of sport or you want to be a broadcaster or you want to get into the player personnel side, then you usually stick with one sport. But on the marketing side, which is where I've lived my life, it's given me the opportunity to um, transition from sport to sport, which would be hard if you just focus. Let, let's, let's just put it in medicine. You know, if, if you're a thoracic surgeon, you're not waking up one day and say, oh, you know, I think I'll be a plastic surgeon. Or if you're a neurosurgeon, hey, I'm going to do something else. Um, so I've just been really lucky uh, in the way that the sports have matured over time that finding money, you know, the, the fluid that flows through the veins of sport is green. And if you can generate some of that, you can pretty much decide where you're going to be. So how was it that John ended up approaching you about this uh, this concept for TBT? Well, you, you know you know this story, and it, it goes back to teamwork. Um, my son, Corey, uh, went to Tufts University, you know, out here on the West Coast. Um, other than the major schools, um, you know, if you want to be an athlete, but you're not a D1 capable athlete, and you also realize that you're not going to college for a pro career in sports, but to be educated, um, uh, all of our children went east, and Corey was lucky enough to to go to Tufts, which is an incredible school, and play baseball. And playing baseball in New England is a definite challenge, yeah. um, especially when you know you're playing beautiful games and it's 38 degrees, and you take one near the wrist. So that's <laughs> that's, that's when he, that's when he got to know John. Um, and you know we had stayed in touch. Actually, the Mugars. Uh, were involved or were going to be involved in a group of investors, uh, and they've been incredible investors in the in the Boston community and in the sports community. But they um, were going to join a group that I was trying to put together to buy the Oakland A's uh, in 1999 and 2000. And so John and I and, and my son Corey have stayed in touch over years. And literally, I got a call from John one day. I don't remember the exact day. And I think the first thing that he said after we went through the niceties was Lenny Cook. And, you know, most people would have a gigantic question mark. And I said, yeah, Lenny Cook, LeBron James. And he goes, you got it. And now if somebody was listening into this conversation, they go, what are you guys babbling about? Well, um, when LeBron was starting to become or was already a legend um, in Ohio, Lenny Cook was a legend in New York City. And uh, if you ask even most intelligent people who love basketball at all ages, tell me about Lenny Cook, there'd probably be a blank stare. LeBron James, well, um, not a problem. But Lenny Cook and LeBron were viewed as the two best high school players in the country. LeBron became a household word. Lenny became a legend because it didn't work out for him. Um, you know, he thought he was going to be drafted. And then like many, many other players, and part of this is the kind of DNA that TBT is all about, whatever happened to. And so, as I like to say, uh, John Mugar had me at Lenny Cook. That's great. So he, how at that stage, because I just don't recall not having been privy to the conversation, but how at that stage developed was the idea of the tournament? Do you recall? Was it, were we at the point yet where we talked about there being a massive winner-take-all prize? 
uh, teams across the country. What was the, the status of it? Well, first and foremost, I can't say that I remember all the specific details of that call, but what I do remember significantly and, and that I knew for a long time was the quality and depth and focus of, of John and his brother. And I was lucky enough to meet, you know, his dad. And it was when they put their mind to something, it's going to happen and not in any kind of fashion, like no matter what we can do this, but like any great athlete, um, you have to have a focus and you have to go at it day after day after day. And so what most appealed to me was that John had this fire. Uh, John had an idea that I definitely bought into in a nanosecond. And as John, and, and you're, you know this as being a, a longtime friend, but as John started to put his team together, and what I appreciate most in today's world is that John, when John doesn't know something, he's going to reach out to others that do. And in today's world, we have a lot of scary, smart people who don't know what they don't know. Mm. And so it, it really was more organic in nature. It wasn't, I've got all the rules written. I know exactly what's going to happen. I know what cities we're going to go into. I know how long it's going to take. I know how much money we're going to spend. Um, if John had that, he didn't uh, talk to me in, in that conversation. But it, when Tony Pontura and Len DeLuca, yourself, and other major people, and Vin Martelli, uh, when we started talking about the, this and, and others that John brought in, uh, it was really simple to, to be completely involved you know, from day one and to be enthusiastic and maybe more enthusiastic about the future than what's already been created. What is it about the future of it that gets you enthusiastic and makes you so optimistic about where it could go? I'm a big believer in the global nature of sport. And um, if you look at music, the arts, religion, science, you know, those are global languages that everybody speaks. And sport is another one. And it's only growing every day. I mean, who would have thought that a Russian oligarch would own an NBA team in Brooklyn? Um, who would see, you know, Americans owning um, Barclays Premier League soccer teams? Um, and who would have thought of 350 million uh, young people in China playing basketball or a seven foot six inch center from the Shanghai Sharks, you know, would be one of the most recognizable players in the NBA. So what I see is the future is that basketball pretty much um, more than any other sport other than soccer is truly global. And that as long as there's a hoop and as long as there's a net and you probably don't even need a net, um, everybody can sort of smile. And in today's world, where we see, unfortunately, examples every day of the craziness of what's going on. I think sport is, is really one of the last vestiges of a universal language, kind of a front porch in a town square where people can get along. And the nature of TBT, what has been created, and we've seen it already, uh, you know, with overseas elite, the fact that people from all over the world, I, I don't want to portray us that we're the United Nations of basketball, 
but I think we have created a level that, that people um, can hoop together, um, you know, for a positive purpose and also walk away with a lot of cash. Right. That's probably the number one draw for most people, I think. But when they start digging down beyond that that level, I think you're right. It's amazing. And I think you have the same sort of perspective on it, certainly, that I do, is that you know there are the really important things in life, and then there's the bread and circus. And oftentimes, the bread and circus is what kind of gets you through all those difficult other things that are going on. And hopefully, we're kind of filling that niche uh, for a lot of people, is that this is entertainment. It's fun. It's a chance to build a community and and do it in a, in a unique context, in a unique way as well. Yeah, what what jumped out at me in watching the games in a lot of different venues, and I've seen, I've seen a lot of sports events in my life and probably more basketball than any others, um, you know, loving the game since I was a little kid growing up in the New York Metro. But the actual joy and fun and smiles that – um, we see, we're lucky enough to see on the players' faces and and their families. Now, you know, professional sports is serious and players are playing for their careers, but you know more than ever um, because you sit, um, you know, in the interview rooms after and you probably know more about the players and their teams and their functions than anybody in TBT doesn't it strike you that these these are people that are, you know, serious basketball players, professionals, have gone through their own challenges in life, but how much fun they're having when they're playing in TBT. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think one of the things that has stood out to me that it kind of took me a little while to realize is how rare it is for uh, professional athletes to get to choose who they want to play with. You know, I think from the time you're recruited out of, you know, AAU ball, you know, you're recruited into a college and you don't really get to decide who else the coach is going to recruit. And outside of a rare circumstance where LeBron got to pick that he played with, you know, Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh, there's very, very rare opportunities for guys to play with their friends and the guys, the, guy grew, the guys that they grew up with. And what I think makes this a lot of fun for a lot of these athletes is that they are playing with their buddies that they grew up with or guys they went to college with that they, they've become friends with over time. And to me, I think it's really liberating for them to actually get a chance to experience that and to see that it is a lot of fun to play sports again. And we've had guys that had, as you've probably heard in press conferences, 10 or 12 year pro careers. And they say TBT is the most fun they've ever had playing, uh, playing basketball. So that stuff is great uh, to hear. Um, yeah. I, I think I was lucky enough to, to work in, in Memphis, you know, for seven years and, you know, I'm an Easterner and then I was a Westerner, a coastal guy. And I had never lived in the South. And, you know, it's easy for people to go, well, okay, you know, you live in the South. But one of the factors is just the friendliness, the, the fact that people can sit a spell and, and, you know, talk about things. And they're not so rushed. And what I saw was the whole concept of family and family reunions and I sort of look at that as an example of TBT. Mm. I mean, these players are literally coming from all over the world, right? I remember that one story last year of, I think one of the players was trying out or working with the Nigerian national team. And yep, Shane flew back, yep. Flew, flew back for the game. This is like the coolest homecoming or family reunion of serious hoopers. And as I said, one of the 
the most positive parts to me, uh, being involved in the serious business of sports for five decades, is to just see how happy. Now, serious as heck, um, and that's, that's a whole other aspect, but you're right that these are players that can come back, you know, in the summer before they sort of go back to work full time and have a heck of a time doing it. Andy, what do you think some of the challenges have been in launching TBT specifically, but more generally about launching any kind of a sports startup? Because you were involved in the NACL, NASL rather, in the early days in the, in the lacrosse league as right. well. What do you think some of the challenges are in launching a sports startup? Momentum, 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 and money. Um, and uh, starting anything in today's crowded marketplace is difficult. I mean, I, I'm lucky enough or maybe unlucky enough to live in the midst of the Silicon Valley where everybody has the next most brilliant idea um, and not far from, you know, hundreds of venture capital firms. And unless you can prove to those people that your idea is really big, they just sort of laugh at you, turn your shoulder and walk away. And when we started talking, and I know this is from everybody on our group, when you start talking about the largest, trying to create the largest open basketball tournament in the country, or maybe the world, in a super crowded marketplace. We're right in the middle of March Madness, and I don't know about you, my bracket has been gone for a long time. Um, but uh, there's so much basketball. There's so much sport. It's sliced and diced. And I think what we've done, and again, paying homage to – to John, who has this laser-like focus and stays with it, if it was more laissez-faire, we wouldn't be having this call today. Um, and there's lots of people that come up with ideas, and as soon as they reach the first hurdle, that's the end of the idea. And so our hurdles have been crowded marketplace, sponsor community that scratches their head, broadcast partners that say, you're going to do what? No, that can't be. Or you know, are you part of the NBA? Are you part of the D-League? Are you part of this and that? No, we're an independent organization, self-funded, that has an idea that went from, are you guys completely out of your mind, <laughs> to live broadcasts on ESPN? I, I dare say, and, and, you know, is it a bit of personal bias? Sure. But how many other sports promoters, ideas, etc., that sort of, incubated two and a half years ago, um, you know, have come this far literally in such a short period of time. And John and I, and I know you do too, always argue because John believes we should be so much more mature than we are, not as individuals. That's completely impossible. But, you know, TBT as an entity. And I keep saying, let's think about reality here on how far we've come in such a short period of time. You've been able to really see all of these teams in some capacity or another, especially the first year and then second year in LA and Chicago. And I'm wondering what your type of team is, like your favorite type of team that plays in TV, because TBT rather, because we've got the alumni teams, we've got teams of street ballers, we've got teams that uh, kind of form on their own that play in pro-ams throughout the country. Uh, I'm, I'm curious what your favorite types of teams are. Yeah, that's like asking a seven-year-old what he, he, you know, what their favorite ice cream is. Like, <laughs> sorry, you know, that's impossible for me to answer. 
But what, what comes to mind is defense. And um, what I think everybody, and you know because we've been lucky enough to have um, all kinds of basketball people, um, you know, who are respected around the world come see our games and probably not know what they were going to see. You know, is this just another summer league where guys are sloughing it off and having fun and maybe not showing up and kind of all mismatched on the court? Well, what I like the best is those teams, and we saw it when the games, you know, start, if you don't play defense, if you don't play like a team or as a team, you disappear real quickly. And so the level of these players' intensity, and these are guys that are playing for millions of dollars, you know, professionally uh, in other places around the world or have had massive contracts and playing, if they don't approach this as a serious um, involvement in, in how they're going to work every day, they're not going to go very, very far. And so the level of teamwork, the level of uh, the, the level of defensive intensity got me. And you know, I, there's a guy named Mike Sheehy who played a ball. He's a senior executive for Comcast, and his son, as you know, Will, who's a heck of a player himself, you know, on, on the Indiana squad last year. Um, you know, we talk about this, and that immediately brought us together, and Mike and I hadn't talked for a while. Or for me, uh, you know, seeing the quality of Davin White last year and his team, and the fact that, you know, this guy is as good as anybody in the NBA. You know, maybe that's an overstatement. There's a guy named Steph Curry, who we have out here, who's pretty decent, and Chris Paul, but, you know, Davin can play, as are many, many others. So, it, it's just the quality that is shown and it gets better each and every year as the players. And Dan, you know, this uh, as well as I, who are the best ambassadors of TBD? Um, it's the players themselves and, and what they have to say about the tournament. Put it on your sales and, um, and marketing hat for a minute. What do you think the three most high impact teams that could enter TBT would be? Well, first and foremost, uh, you know, we live in a world of reality TV. Let's just look at the upcoming presidential campaign uh, or the ongoing presidential campaign. But, uh, you know, I, I think that, you know, as Hollywood meets the real world, and I don't know how this would specifically work, but, um, you know, names that are associated, I, I just think about a guy named Justin Timberlake. Um, who I got to know a bit in Memphis where he started before he became a global superstar. And he, you know, he's a serious athlete, good golfer, pretty good basketball player. And so, you know, people like that getting involved, not, not necessarily as players because they get wasted, but, you know, putting teams together, I think that's important. Yeah. I think a pure, a pure international team, which is coming or, uh, you'd know better than I, you know, what are the teams that have literally had more international players? And I don't mean Americans that are playing around the world, but I mean truly international players. Kind of like where are we at in the NBA today? I think there's, what, 110 or 120 
you know, incredible international players in the league. So I think uh, a team there or another country's team will be spectacular. And, and that is coming as we both know. Um, and, um, you know, I also think, and we saw it, I, I laughed last year when Dante Jones and Mike Bibby and, you know, where is Jason Williams? Have we found him yet, Dan? Jason so. Williams? They had a plane ticket for him, and I think it was and left. They, yeah, yeah. They've been identified. Um, I, I think a, a team, I'm not saying that, you know, Black Mamba is going to show up in Philly, but I think there will be guys who are truly, you know, just have hung them up but can't hang them up, say, oh, yeah, we'll win that, and then we'll get smoked in an early game. That'd be a great so ringer. Kobe kind of, would be a great ringer. Those are kind in, of three, yeah. three, big, three big ideas that, that I think about. And, and the other one, I just happen to be a, I have a friendship with Scooter Barry, uh, and Scooter Barry is one of the famous Barry brothers of a guy named Rick Barry. Yep. <laughs> Way back when, when I was with the Warriors, and we were terrible, this was 94, 95, um, I tried to convince the owner, Chris Cohan, hey, our team's really bad. Why don't we just bring Rick back as the coach and just have all the Barrys play on the team? You know, we'd be the, we'd be the Golden State Barrys, and he didn't buy into it. So I don't, I don't know if there's a team out there, brothers, twins, you know, there's enough of them, so... Maybe the Barrys will decide to put a team together of their grandchildren. I know uh, they've got some kids that, that are now becoming pretty good high school hoopers. With your connections, have you thought about entering a team in TBT yourself? Uh, no, I, I thought in, in the vast corporate uh, environment that we've structured, it was, uh, it was impossible. But, um, you know, I have talked and, and am talking to a group of friends, uh, you know, Ben Braun, who coached the, the Cal and coached at Rice and does a lot of TV work. And, uh, you know, myself, I'm a proud bar mitzvah boy. So um, it, I, I, I have talked to Ben seriously and, and he didn't hang up the phone, literally talked to him last week and said, you know, how about a team called the Bar Mitzvah Boys? Oh, that'd be great. And, you know, there are so many great players. I mean, people with a little bit of history remember the great Tal Brody who played at UConn and, and a bunch of other players, you know, right now. So, I don't, you know, I, I guess we'd have problems on some religious side, like without going too far afield, you know, if we have an all-Mormon team and, and when we schedule our games. Uh, but... Uh, that, that goes back and, and not and to be serious about this. I mean, you think of all the discord discord that we have around the world, um, and you know, could we play our part, you know, in some of these circumstances by having teams that represent the best of you know faith based organizations playing in TBT? Well, we have had the peace players um, the last couple of years, and yeah. So that's yeah, no, that's true too. Yeah, that would be an interesting. I'd love to see something like that, that, you know, where a team does make that their, their primary mission, mission statement, even beyond the, the prize would be to, you know, they have a uh, point that they want to make, and this is the forum that they're going to use to do it. And I was hoping that we could talk a little bit about brand building for sports teams. When uh, the first question I had was when the Vancouver Grizzlies decided to move from Vancouver down to Memphis, they kept the name Grizzlies. And I know that I think it was in the seventies. <laughs> 
there was a there was a football team in Memphis called the Memphis Grizzlies. Was that the reason why the team kept the name Grizzlies? No, I love the fact that you you study up, you know your history. Um, so the true story was, I was so excited. I, I mean, I would have loved to stay in Vancouver, but the reason we moved wasn't necessarily that we were bad because we were. But at that time, the Canadian dollar was 61 cents right. against the U.S. dollar. So everything we took in was Canadian dollars other than the national TV broadcast or the NBA. Everything we paid out was U.S. So you didn't need to be Alan Greenspan to kind of figure out, oops, not a good economic equation. Um, so when we came uh, to Memphis, so the University of Memphis's basketball team was the big deal. Uh, John Calcari was the coach, tremendous tradition. Um, there was a triple-A baseball team, the Memphis Redbirds, but we were going to be the first major professional team. And I was so excited, right? Because what a great opportunity, right? The Memphis Elvi, um, oh. uh, the Q's. My favorite was the Q's, right, for barbecue. Yep. We were going to be the Q's, right? I mean, how cool is that going to be? Uh, we had the Mississippi River. You know, how about the Big Muddy? Um, I mean, we just had so many things going. But um, I was trained early in my life. Hey, just because you think it's a good idea, that doesn't necessarily mean that anybody else thinks it's good. So do a little bit of research, do some testing. And what we did um, was we did a, a lot of focus groups. And what we found surprisingly is that people in Memphis were so excited about having their own NBA team, having knowing that a new arena was going to be built. First three years we played in the pyramid, um, which um, you know was not the place that we knew was going to be the long-term solution. And what we found to over a 90% thumbs up was we're fine with Grizzlies. We're absolutely great with Grizzlies because we're getting something that the rest of the country already knew about. Well, they didn't know all that much about them because the Grizzlies didn't get much ink. And we sort of created this backstory. Now, I can tell you there are no Grizzlies anyplace um, in the state of Tennessee. So we kind of created this backstory about a blue bear. And uh, we never looked back. And to this day, I'm still amazed um, that the fans of the marketplace just completely embraced the Grizzlies um, as opposed to anything else that we could have been that was more local in flavor. That's, I never knew that. I always assumed that it had been just because they have that previous team. But that's actually even better that you tested it out, knew what they liked. Grizzlies is a unique name that no other team had had. Um, that's really great. When when you're trying to translate some of that stuff, Andy, that you would have learned in that process of essentially starting a, a new brand in a new city to some of these teams that are trying to essentially start the same process here in TBT, uh, what kind of lessons would you kind of impart to them? Uh, first and foremost, you know, listen to your audience that we've just talked about. And you and I, uh, and I think a lot of observers of TBT have seen that the, the quality teams are coming around a university involvement, right? Guys coming back or proud of, of where they came from, Bayheim's Army, Indiana, and many, many others 
that that we know about, or also the city, right? Guys coming back to a certain area of the country, Team 23, others like that. And so, um, and before they start thinking globally in this, think locally, um, because people always remember, I know I do growing up, uh, there's a guy named Wandy Williams, who was one of the greatest athletes in Long Island history. You know, people equate him with Jim Brown, multi-sport athlete. Um, and you always remember those great athletes from high school through college, through the pros that you grew up with. So I think the local aspect of the teams, even though they may be composed of players from all corners of the globe, is first and foremost a cool name um, and have, <laughs> and luckily there are tens of millions, have the most intelligent IT person, digital genius uh, attached to your organization so that you can communicate people with, you know, you can communicate to millions of people with one keystroke that your team is the coolest and, you know, constantly hear feedback and, and think about what you can do in the world of basketball to distinguish yourself so that you can get into TBT. I think that advice you gave about local, start local first, is probably true of almost every element of marketing communication. So the old Tip O'Neill thing that he said that all politics is local, it seems like all exactly. team building is local too. And you know, to that end, what I tell all these teams is when they're naming yourselves, think about who it is that you want to vote for you first. And then as you expand out, people are going to become fans. So if you're from Maine and you are actually from Kennebunk, imagine if you were the Kennebunk Lobstermen and everybody in Kennebunkport and Kennebunk, Maine would vote for your team because they they feel a natural attachment to it. Well, that's several thousand people right there. And as you expand out, then, you know, people in the region start feeling good about your team and maybe then the whole state. But that's a, that's the thing that I think a lot of teams seem to miss is when they're naming themselves, they're not putting in that geographic location. That's sort of an immediate call to action for people to get involved. Yeah, that brings back, I, I was in a discussion uh, years ago. Uh, I was on a committee of team executives that David Stern, then commissioner of the NBA, put together. And we were, it was a marketing group, and we were talking about the struggles that the D-League was having, you know, what should it be called, and, you know, the fact that it was becoming a bit of a cash drain for the league. And um, I couldn't help myself. And I said, how, and, and it was, you know, digital technology was really starting to ramp up. And I said, why don't we just have the league, but no teams, you know, we'll cool, we'll, <laughs> we'll create cool logos, great names, backstories, but we won't have to spend any money on any of the players in anything like that. Well, David Stern was a pretty direct guy. Didn't think that was the most brilliant idea that he ever heard. But to this day, I still think that the kind of avatar league can be really successful because, you know, you just think about how successful sports would really be if they didn't have to pay the player salaries. Right now that's, you know, that's, that's a story for another day, but I do think it is a bit instructive that all of these teams, you know, back to the story of the blue bear of the Memphis Grizzlies, you can create whatever story you want. It's not like if you're, you know, the hometown Boston Celtics saying, well, we're going through a name change or, you know, we're going to, we're going to whack the leprechaun. No, you're not. 
Um, but in, in our case with CBT, and this just hit me as we're speaking, above and beyond, you know, the fact that we're seeing uh, these incredible basketball players from all over the world, there's an opportunity for marketers here. And I don't just mean, you know, our sponsors like Jack Links and others that, you know, are supporting the tournament and others that will, but smaller entities, people that want to get into sports marketing. What a laboratory can create. Maybe that's something we talk about for next year. We actually have a sports business laboratory and marketing laboratory to give people all manner of stuff um, to think about. Yeah, that's one thing I actually try to tell teams when they're asking how do I get into this is I think going to your local university and finding a kid that is industrious, knows the ins and outs of all aspects of social media and who really wants to work in sports marketing is one of the best things that you could possibly do because you cut them in, you basically give them a – um, a commission in the event that you win, say you pay him $15,000 if we win and he's going to do all the work for you and get the word out there and test out all of these things and see if they work over the course of 60 days. I mean, that to me is almost a no brainer uh, for teams. To I do. totally agree. I mean, I, I'm the poster child for anybody that wants to get into sports. I mean, the fact that, that I've had this career and ironically, and this year, uh, upcoming in May, is the 50th anniversary of the Ohio University Sports Management Program. When it started, it was the only program of its kind in the country. Today, there's over 360 sports management programs in the United States and, and many around the world. And um, again, you know, they all come with fairly serious uh, tuition base and you got to get on planes although I'm with uh, one at the University of San Francisco, which is 100% online in the business of collegiate athletics. But here's an opportunity to have people around the world see your work literally for nothing. Right. And that's, and that, you know, that's a whole other area that we haven't talked about yet. When I talk to people about TBT, you know, there are still millions that go, TBT, have you seen a doctor? And I go, no, no, I don't have TBT. No, it's a, it's, a, it's a basketball tournament. And then they go, well, I know a lot about basketball. What is it? Or I think I saw it. Or no, I haven't seen it. And so the, the opportunity, um, you know, for us to, to still grow is significant because people really don't know that much about it. Uh, but more and more people are knowing about it every day when you can just say, you know, the tournament.com, go there. And and they're educated and go, wow, it's real. You know, you weren't BSing me. And I felt like, no, I wasn't. It seems to be a hurdle that most people have to get over when they first hear about TBT. Yeah. Um, Andy, the last thing I wanted to ask you about was in light of um, news that's come out in the last couple of weeks about stadium financing deals, I saw that the Diamondbacks are essentially demanding millions of dollars of upgrades from public financing. The Dodgers can't seem to get their contract straight so that half the fans in L.A. are unable to see them. Just this morning, there was a big article about how Comcast in New York is not um, carrying the Yankees this year. And I'm wondering what your views are on the sports landscape, specifically on those two areas, about public financing of stadiums and um, the way that the uh, RSNs seem to be struggling for carriage fees to be paid. Well, the example that I think about uh, immediately with that question is I was lucky enough to work in Oakland in, you know, for its teams for 20 years. Um, 
And the original Oakland Coliseum, which is still standing where the Raiders and the A's are the last, you know, co-tenants on uh, NFL and Major League Baseball, and where the Warriors are playing until they move to a new arena in San Francisco in three or four years, um, which is also bogged down in litigation. Um, so that whole facility was built for $27 million in the 60s. The recently opened Levi's Stadium was $1.5 billion. And the Warriors, um, you know, new arena in San Francisco is going to be over a billion for an arena. And so when you throw in the cost, the litigation, the complexity, environmental concerns, uh, the inability of cities and states and counties to pay for this, along with television, sort of being, in many instances, the ultimate cash cow, the complexity of professional sports is changing. And it's making it more and more difficult, I think, for the average sports fan to pay the seat license or to pay the cable TV rate. You know, people yell and scream at the team or Comcast or Fox or ESPN, but they don't realize that behind this are the cable operators. And, you know, they see some sort of dimming in some instances of sports interest where people just won't pay the money. And so entities, you know, like youth sports, um, you know, they, they're constantly up against it. Where do you have the funding? And I think one of the positives of what has happened with TBT is that, you know, it is organic. It is something that's built from the ground up. It doesn't cost millions. You know, we give the teams the opportunity to essentially um, tell their own story in the way that they want, in what they're comfortable, and ultimately, you know, walk away, if they're good enough, with a significant chunk of change and have fans also win money, which, which we, got, you know, didn't talk about. But I think the simple answer to your question isn't simple. And that is we're in an age of such complexity and because sport costs so much money that figuring out how this works and ultimately, ultimately the delivery of the sport, you know, why do people go to sporting events or why do they watch them ultimately to see the greatest athletes in the world do their thing in an unscripted setting. And I, I, I think what we've shown in TBT is that, you know, what started out as a real unscripted setting now has so many plot lines, so many stories. And that's really, at the end of, of the day, what we're about. It's the storytelling of so many great athletes, men and women. And that's another point here, you know, with some of our coaches and players. This is not just a men's tournament or, you know, uh, you know teams, teams that we saw. Uh, that will be put together. You know, this is a growing opportunity uh, for people to actually have fun playing their sport, being seen on the world's most significant outlet, ESPN, and do it without, you know, having to break the bank. Andy, this has been great. I hope to have you on again soon. I know I'm looking forward to seeing you in person when we get out to Los Angeles this summer. Um, you already know the date, July 9th and 10th. 
Saturday and Sunday. But this has only, been wonderful. Only thing, yeah, only thing we need to change. I always scratch my head. We should never have a date of April the first to do anything, right? <laughs> especially, <laughs> maybe especially when you're announcing a two million dollar tournament. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but we're not fools. Uh, we're proud members of the TBT family. Always great talking to you. Thanks, Andy.